0: all right i do want to do a new year's focus message but i want it to be um, on a little bit on the practical side this morning i want to revisit a concept i i taught on this for the church i was looking back at my outlines this was um i did a like a six weeks teaching series on this subject but it was all the way back in 1998 which is uh almost 26 years ago now And um, so many of you weren't even here for that, and those that were, I certainly wouldn't expect you to remember uh, the things that I shared back then. Uh, What I want to focus on this coming year, by way of an exhortation today, is the practice of biblical meditation. And the specific and special blessing there is in that practice. I would imagine that everyone here, at one time or another, has um, experienced what it means to meditate in the Word of God. I want to distinguish meditation from simply reading the Word of God, though there is, of course, nothing whatsoever wrong with reading the Word of God. I recommend it. Um, there's nothing wrong, of course, with studying the Word of God. I read and study God's Word regularly. And I hope you do as well. But there is something unique and special, and there is a specific blessing that the Lord attaches to a practice that he describes as meditation, which is distinguished from reading and studying. So you can read the Bible, and you can study the Bible, and not, in that process, actually meditate on the Bible. And if you do the two without the third... You're missing out on a specific and special blessing that the Lord exclusively attaches to the meditation in his word. Though there are blessings attached to reading his word and there are blessings attached to studying his word. But there's something about meditation that makes what you're reading apply at a heart level to us in a way that studying and reading alone don't actually accomplish. Now, there's more than one place in Scripture where the Lord addresses the importance and describes the blessing of meditating in the Word of God, but the the greatest place where he describes that, I think, is found here in Psalm 1. Let me. It's a short psalm. It's only six verses, so let me read the entire psalm. I'm going to give a brief overview of the perspective, the the word picture that's being drawn in the psalm, and then I want to focus in specifically on the first three verses, which are focused more on the biblical meditation concept. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. All right, the, the overview perspective of what's going on in this psalm is the Lord is, is drawing a, a comparison and a contrast Between two ways of traveling through this life, and the imagery is uh, that you're a you're a traveler on a pathway, but that there are two different paths that can be traveled in life. And in this perspective, really, there are only two pathways that one can travel through this life on, and there contrasting pathways, they're significantly different. One is the way or the path of the wicked, and the other is the way or the path of righteousness, which is, of course, the pathway that God calls us to walk and the pathway that God desires us to walk, intends for us to walk, encourages us and exhorts us to walk, and in many cases even commands us to walk. Now, one of the ways that the Lord motivates us to make the right choice and to stick with the right choice is He describes for us what happens after you make that choice and after you commit to that choice and after you actually carry out that choice by walking in the way that you should, versus The possibility of walking in the way that you shouldn't. And one of the ways that he motivates us is by by just showing us what life will be like if you travel down one pathway versus what life will be like if you travel down the right pathway. And so the psalm starts with a single important word. The word is blessed. And he is attaching that blessing and this is, you know, a pop quiz, and I think everyone will get the answer 100% correct. Um, the blessing is attached to walking on which of the two pathways? It's, of course, attached only to the person that is choosing by God's grace, by God's influence, by God's design and purpose to walk on the pathway of righteousness. And so the Lord describes that man as a blessed Man, now uh, when you study the concept of blessing from the Lord, because that's what blessing is. But Ble- just to be clear, blessing is not just you know how's your day going. Oh, you know what? I had a really good day today. Everything, everything was nice and smooth today. Um, that's the the idea of just having a good day is not fully capturing the concept of blessing. Blessing is not just things in life randomly happening to work out in the way that you would prefer them to work out for your life that day. The blessing is the Lord in heaven specifically looking at individuals on earth and choosing to pour out upon them by his sovereign influence and control over every circumstance of their life things that are favorable to the people that he is paying attention to versus unfavorable to the people that he is displeased with. So blessing is a specific outpouring from God in heaven of favorable circumstances for the person that is pleasing the lord by walking in a way that the lord wants them to walk now there are in the study of blessings there are two categories of blessings that we can experience in life those two categories important to understand and only one of them is in view here in this passage when he says blessed is this particular man that's being described in psalm 1 or at the beginning of someone. The two categories are what we call in theology common grace blessings and then the second category is special grace blessings. This man is experiencing a special grace blessing. Common grace blessings aren't to be disregarded though and they're not unimportant and I'm glad for every common grace blessing I've ever experienced in life. But common grace blessings are not exclusively experienced only by the righteous. What are common grace blessings? Let me give you a few examples. Um, Just being alive is a blessing compared to the alternative, which is your life in this world ends, and if you're not walking in right relationship with the Lord, what weights that soul after they draw their last breath in this world so every day that the unrighteous man is awake and alive in this world is a day of being under the common grace blessing of simply being alive Uh, when when you inhale and draw in air that is a common grace blessing and it's available for the righteous and the unrighteous when you sit down and eat a meal you're experiencing Common grace. God doesn't provide food only for the righteous in this world. He feeds both the righteous and the unrighteous. There are there are many such common grace blessings that are available to everyone, but Psalm one isn't describing that. He's describing here. David is describing what we call special grace. Now, special grace is you can you can describe it with different categories that all mean essentially the same thing it's a covenantal grace and what we mean by that is it's only given by God in heaven to those on earth those human beings that are in covenant relationship with him it's a you can call it also a family blessing and we're talking about here the family of God not your natural earthly family if you are part of God's family God shares these blessings only with true members of his spiritual family It's a blessing for the righteous, not for the wicked, as the psalm continues to describe. And then when we get to verses uh, 4 through 6, there's this contrast of describing what is awaiting and what is the experience of those that are walking the pathway of wickedness, the pathway of unrighteousness. They are not being blessed with this special grace blessing from heaven. Special grace goes above and beyond common grace. It's more than just you're alive, you're eating food, you're breathing air, you're drinking water, you've got clothes to wear, you've got some kind of shelter over your head. So you're blessed because of those things compared to the alternative of those things. Special grace is the Lord looking down from heaven upon those that he owns as his and who are walking in a manner that, that is pleasing to him and he chooses to, in a sense, open the vault of the available blessings that he has for his children, his people in heaven and pouring out special blessings specifically in a very focused and exclusive way upon their lives, upon their circumstances. Changing their circumstance in a favorable way and I'm not just talking about physical circumstance we're talking about relational circumstances we're talking about heart circumstances changing our perspectives, changing our attitudes, changing our behaviors, changing the way that we interact with people in this world and the way that others interact with us, changing our lives in ways that we need him to change them, but only he really can change them. So that's what's being described here. And this is functioning kind of like, uh, you know, in in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus opens the Sermon on the Mount with a series of declarations of blessing that are called traditionally the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, and the many other Beatitudes that he follows those with, the idea is that he's he's declaring that God intends and God will and God does pour out exclusive and special blessings on those specific people. So here, blessed is the man, and interestingly, he doesn't start by describing the positive reasons why God chooses to bless this man. He starts by describing three reasons that are, in a sense, negatives that this man is not participating with or participating in. Three things that this blessed man isn't doing— which is then combined with what he is doing. And what I take away from this is that the, the Christian life, the life of truly walking with the Lord, is a combination of those two elements. It's a combination of making choices not to do certain things and choices to do other things. I'm choosing not to do the things that are pleasing in, displeasing in his sight, and I'm choosing to do the things that are pleasing in his sight. But let's, let's take a look real quickly at the three things that he highlights that we are blessed because we avoid. First, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Second, nor stands in the way of sinners. Third, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. This morning as uh, Caleb was introducing our worship time, he referred to adopting a posture of worship. And the three key words in in these two verses are posture words. The words are walk, stand, and sit. Blessed is the man who isn't walking in a specific pathway, which means he's not pursuing a specific direction in life. Blessed is the man who's not standing where he shouldn't be standing, And third, blessed is the man who isn't sitting where he has no business sitting. And really, the imagery is kind of in a descending order. Because the idea is walking is the most active of the three, standing is the medium activity, and sitting is the least active of all of them. The progression is kind of like a, uh, really not a progression, but more of of a degression. The idea is that as we're motoring through this life, we're encountering things that surround us. We're encountering people that surround us. We're encountering behaviors that surround us. Attitudes that surround us. Perspectives that surround us. And in this case, those surrounding things are not good things. They're not healthy things. They're not beneficial things. They're actually spiritually greatly dangerous things. And in the in the degression, what's happening here is that At the beginning, I'm in a sense walking, and then I'm slowing down, and I'm just standing and observing and hanging out. And then in the third and the worst posture, I actually am sitting down and taking my rest because biblically when you sit, you do so for the perspective or the purpose of taking your rest. Now I'm taking my rest and finding my peace in the midst of the worst possible attitudes and behaviors that people can express. So where does it start? It starts with a warning to not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Now, let's be clear about what the Bible means by wicked here. Um, There are degrees of righteousness. Would you agree with that? In the same way, there are degrees of wickedness. There are some examples that we could name some historic figures and come up with extreme degrees of wickedness in display in unrighteous people in history. This isn't concerned, this passage isn't concerned with the worst possible expression of wickedness. It's concerned with any wickedness at all. So what is wickedness? Wickedness is you boil it down to its essential core element. It's simply a disregard of the Lord and His ways. Now that can be in a in a super hardened, bad, you know i'm just committed to to hating the lord in my heart that's a that's an ultimate or, or high degree of wickedness or it can simply be a wickedness that that causes me in a moment of time to not think about the lord to not regard the lord to not consider his word not to consider his ways and then ultimately to choose my own way which then is characterized as a wicked way because it left God out of the equation of that moment in my life. So blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. The idea here is I'm walking along in life, and as I'm walking along a pathway, I encounter people in the, in the pathway that's in front of me. And the pathway that surrounds me. I'm not the only traveler in life. And as I encounter people, these people now are wicked people that surround me. I'm not talking about you surrounding me this morning. I'm just talking about working my way through the world. There are going to be wicked people that surround me. People that disregard the Lord. And there's going to be all kinds of different degrees of that disregard. And as I encounter them, what's interesting about my interaction with them is they're going to want to offer me advice. They're going to suggest to me, hey, the way I am living life is the way you should be living your life. It's, it's just interesting to me that the Lord has, I think, planted it in human beings to want to influence each other. It's very rare to encounter a person that has no interest in influencing you whatsoever. And I I would make the case and say, there is no such person. Because even if they choose not to say anything to you, they still in their heart would prefer that you live like they do. And so the idea here is that as you're encountering wicked people in the surrounding environment of living in this world, they're going to want to influence you, and their influence is going to take the form of counsel, which means, the word literally means advice. And this isn't a formal relationship here, like, okay, I'm going to pay, you know, $200 an hour, and I'm going to go sit down and be counseled by some professional counselor. This is simply people sharing their perspective with you thinking that you should follow their perspective and attitude and behavior in life. Now, the idea of this image here is there is a man who is walking in the midst of the wicked who is specifically and exclusively and specially blessed because he disregards Those that are trying to influence him in that way. So he is disregarding those who are disregarding the Lord. That's the advice. That's the recommendation. That's where the blessing lies for this first encounter of these three encounters that are being described here in the first, uh, first verse. Is that as you go through life, you're going to encounter people that are disregarding the Lord and your first concern as you encounter them is number one, you need to discern whether they're regarding the Lord or disregarding the Lord. Because if you're not discerning that, what's going to tend to happen? You're gonna tend to soak up some of their influence whether you're wanting to soak that influence up or not. Now this can happen in face-to-face personal interactions, but because technology has advanced in such an incredibly fast way, just in the time that i've been alive we have other influences that are now constantly having kind of a uh, a pulling effect a tugging effect on our perspectives and upon our attitudes so this can be face to face but this could be watching a television show this could be reading a book this could be watching a movie or this could be just browsing the internet. And as you do, you're going to encounter people in each one of those scenarios. And the first job that you have, if you want to be blessed like this man is blessed, is to discern whether the people that are attempting to influence you, the people that are attempting to advise you and counsel you, whether by their direct words, and exhortations or whether they're simply giving you a bad example to follow and portraying themselves as someone that should be followed you know we we've talked about this a few times recently but you know the whole thing in in, in an internet world of uh you know what's the the category now of the people that are making unbelievable amount of monies uh, out videos and and various media content what do we call them now influencers. influencers and so the whole idea is they're they're putting themselves in a position thinking that they're offering you advice counsel through the form of influence on your life and the whole goal is for you to become more like them as if they're someone that should be emulated or imitated So the first job you have is to discern is this person someone that I should be influenced by or is this person themselves disregarding the Lord, disregarding his word, disregarding his ways and if they are disregarding him, his words or his ways What is my responsibility in that relationship of potential influence? My responsibility is first and foremost to disregard those that disregard him. Choosing not to allow any of their preferred influence to hit my heart and impact my heart at any level of what matters in my heart. So blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. That implies and indicates that the Lord says, I am reserving a special blessing for those that choose to disregard those who disregard me. If you'll discern that, and if you'll make that decision, the Lord will pour out an influence on you to replace and be a great blessing in place of the missed out influence by disregarding the person that is actually walking in the way of wickedness. Second, blessed is the man who does not stand in the way of sinners. Now this isn't describing there's a sinner coming down the pathway and you you get right in their way and you're blocking their path. It's not talking about standing in the way of sinners in that way. It's what we would call in modern descriptions hanging out where sinners hang out. Now, there, you know, there's, there's some distinguishing that needs to happen here. You understand that Jesus was described in the gospel accounts as the friend of sinners. And would at times sit down and have meals with those that were known sinners in his day, in his society, in his culture. Was he hanging out with them? Yes and no, depending upon what you mean by hanging out. Was he hanging out just to completely let down his guard and just soak in their influence? Absolutely not. He was hanging out with them, though, for the purpose of influencing them. The idea is in any hanging out circumstance there is going to be influence shared but which direction is the influence going if the influence is incoming then you need to be wise and discerning and choosy in terms of who you're hanging out with who you're standing with it's it's the idea of just standing where you don't belong where things are taking place that are not good and not healthy for you, that will not lead you any further down the path of righteousness, but may lead you off that path altogether. Be wise about that and don't stand on that pathway at all. And this is a circumstance where you can't really have one foot in one path and another foot on the other path and successfully maintain that split posture. You belong on one pathway or the other. And if you encounter people, because sometimes those two pathways come very close to each other, if you encounter people in the other pathway, any influence should be from you toward them rather than from them toward you. And then the final description, blessed is the man who does not sit in the seat of scoffers. The scoffing here has to do with not people that are just joking around. The scoffing here has to do with people that are mocking the things of the Lord. Let me ask you this. How many people here have watched any television shows in the last year? Any at all? I don't care what show. How many of you have gone to see at least one movie or watch one movie on TV? How many of you have ever spent more than five minutes browsing the internet? I don't care what site you were browsing. Okay, so in all of those circumstances, you're encountering people who are living their life according to a certain basic, core perspective. They're either regarding the Lord and the things of the Lord and honoring them in their heart, or they're disregarding the Lord. And in order to disregard the Lord, His words, and His ways, there is the inevitable result of that is a scoffing, mocking perspective toward the things of God and toward God Himself and specifically directed toward the words of God, the revealed uh, and precious words of God in Scripture. So the idea is, blessed is the man who is not sitting in the seat of the scoffers, meaning you're sitting in their company, you're at rest in their company, you're enjoying their company, you're no longer influencing them. Their they're scoffing, they're, they're scoffing disregard of the Lord, his ways and his words is where you are finding your rest and your peace. The Lord says the person that chooses not to sit there is a person that he is going to target with his blessings. Then in verse 2 the psalmist introduces the concept that I really want to make as our practical focal point because that's and this is a blessing that the Lord does this for us. He doesn't have to do this, but he knows we need it. And that is, all right, we're, we're, in verse one, we're at high level concept of how difficult and how challenging it is to walk in this world surrounding by people who disre- surrounded by people who disregard the Lord. How can I stay effectively, truly on the path of righteousness with all of these ungodly influences that surround me? This is how in verse 2. But, and the word but is drawing a strong and intentional contrast to the three dangers in verse 1. But his delight, his mean the man who is blessed in verse 1. His delight is in the law of the Lord. Now the first thing I want to do is I want to distinguish the terminology here when it refers to the law of the Lord, generally speaking, and rightly so when we, when we refer to the law of God, we're talking about the specific number of commandments that God gave to Moses to give to the people of Israel. We're talking about the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But the word literally means, the word law that's used here, it's Torah, and it literally means instruction teaching and so for us that's broadened beyond the first five books of the law only and and incorporates everything between genesis and revelation his delight is in the teaching of the lord the idea is in verse one the world is trying to teach you something and in verse two the lord is also trying to teach you something and your choice the biggest choice you make in life because the experience of being saved wasn't really a choice that you made it was a choice the lord made for you and praise god that he did because you wouldn't have ever been saved otherwise but once you are saved you have a choice to make and that choice is which influence are you going to follow in life Are you going to follow the influence of the world, the wicked world that disregards him, or are you going to follow the influence of the Lord who has saved you so wonderfully, so mercifully, and so graciously? And if so, what is your core heart perspective about the influences that the Lord wants to continue to build in your life, which we call the teaching of the Lord? And here, this man is described as being delighted in the teaching of the Lord. Now, delighted is a special word. It describes the one thing in life that gives you the greatest pleasure. Now, the Lord knows he's designed us as human beings to be pleasure-oriented. Every single one of us is a pleasure-oriented being. Every single one of us given a choice between an unpleasant experience and a pleasant experience. If the Lord just said to you, look, there's no moral issue involved here. You can have, you can have for the next hour a pleasant experience or an unpleasant experience. and you get to choose, I, I'm not going to hold it against you one way or the other. Just choose. What do you want? Do you want to have a good meal or do you want to have a really bad meal? Do you want to have a good night's sleep or do you want to have a really troubled bad night's sleep where you didn't get hardly any sleep at all? Do you want to be strong and healthy or do you want to be sick and miserable? Those are your choices. Which would you choose? And me, every single time, I'm choosing the pleasant of the two options if the Lord is giving me that choice. His point is, there are always, every single day of your life, two choices. You can choose to disregard the Lord's teaching and be influenced instead by the world's teaching that surrounds you, or you can choose to take pleasure in the teaching of the Lord because that teaching of the Lord will produce pleasantness in your life pathway ahead pleasantness to what extent to what degree your life will be most pleasant to the extent and to the degree only that you regard the law of the Lord with this kind of perspective and attitude the teachings of the Lord so this man delights in the teachings of the Lord Therefore, he practically does something in relationship to them on a daily basis. But what I want before we get to the practical element of the second part of verse 2 is make sure you get that the heart of perspective and attitude drives him to the behavior at the second part of the verse the second part of the verse says this on his law he meditates day and night and it's not being laid out as a chore for christians to have to do on a daily basis this is one of the rules of being a christian you have to meditate on the word of god day and night oh me oh my what a chore that i have to do that's not the, the the idea here. It's not the presentation. It's there's something in the teachings of the Lord that I find so delightful that my heart is drawn to them. And I want to spend time thinking about them. And then the question is: well, how much time do I have to spend? Well, the idea is. If you're delighting in them, it's not ever a matter of, I have to spend amount of time with them. It's that I want to spend an amount of time with them. Yesterday, um, it was one of those, those conjunctions, one of those sports conjunctions, which I greatly enjoy, which was my two favorite teams happened to be playing at the same time. So the Dallas Cowboys were playing football, and the Los Angeles Lakers were playing basketball. And when one was on a commercial, I could just hit the, the back button on the remote control and go back and forth between the two games and enjoy both games. No one had to sit me down and say, now Tim, here are the rules of being a sports fan. You're gonna have to watch the games that your team is playing. Oh, do I have to watch the games? And it was my delight. watch the games i was enjoying myself and at a certain point you know my wife was trying to interest me in delighting in something some other channel than the two i was happened to be fixated on but i had to i had to explain to her no this is a delight this is great i got my two favorite teams so the idea is that what's being described in verse two is no chore it's not, it, yes, there is going to be a discipline involved in the follow-through of the behavior, but even that discipline is being driven by a heart perspective and attitude that takes it out of the realm of chore and into some other realm entirely. So now, as long as you get the delight concept clearly, the one thing you can practically do because I'm going to be encouraging you to to adopt something practically for the year ahead as we're entering a new year tomorrow in relationship to your own practice of meditating in the Word of God. But the the one thing that I would encourage you to do before we talk the practicalities of, of actually meditating in God's Word is consider at this present moment in your life, maybe it was different a year ago, Maybe it was different five years ago, and maybe it will be different a year from now. But right now, at this point in your life, and I've, I've already gone through this process just in preparing this message for you, does your heart still delight in the teachings of the Lord, or do you see it to any extent as somewhat of a chore to need to spend time or to have to spend time or even to want to spend time focused on the teachings of the Lord as revealed in scripture in a way that is described here as meditation so his delight is in the teachings of the Lord and on his teachings this blessed man meditates day and night so the the contrast that's being painted in these verses is You can either be influenced by the wicked that surround you and all of the counsel and advice that they're attempting to pour into your heart's perspective, or you can be influenced by the Lord. And those are the only two options of influence in life, period. So how can I successfully make sure my heart is being influenced by the Lord rather than Those things that are being described in verse 1, on his teachings, the blessed man meditates day and night. Now the day and night simply uh, indicates this this is an all day, every day kind of circumstance that's being described doesn't mean literally every second of the day because we all have practical things to pay attention to. We all have responsibilities to care for, but kind kind of sprinkled throughout the day in a way that is never far from mind and concern and delight. There is this background meditation that's going on driven by and it's implied here though it's not described here driven by a first thing in the morning focus on that meditation that then carries on throughout the day day and night now what does it mean to meditate and i uh, at the beginning i was distinguishing it from reading the word of god i was distinguishing it from studying the word of god although i think they all three go hand in hand and have an important relationship with each other the Hebrew word translated meditate is an interesting word. Literally means to murmur or to mutter. It's describing someone who's talking to himself. But as he's talking to himself the question is what is he muttering about? And the idea is he's muttering the teachings of the Lord that he has read. So reading is the foundation to meditation. You can't meditate unless you first read. and and when we're talking about biblical meditation and it is important and I think it's necessary to do this we probably need to distinguish biblical meditation the meditation that's being described here from the meditation that's so common in the culture that surrounds us today and that's primarily through new-age influences that have crept into our culture over the course of the last 100 years or so how many of you are all familiar with practices of meditation that are practiced in the Hindu or the Buddhist religions, for instance? So what's the goal of meditation if you're a, if you're a practicing Hindu or a practicing Buddhist? The goal of meditation is to literally empty your mind. So you, you sit down and generally both... Religions recommend certain physical postures that will aid in the focus that's required in order to accomplish this goal. But the idea is to stop thinking about anything, stop thinking about everything. And listen, I, before I knew the Lord, I went through a, a period of my life where I, I kind of tried out different approaches to spirituality and i did try certain elements of hinduism certain elements of buddhism and i certainly tried this kind of meditation approach of the goal being to just simply empty my mind it's actually an impossible task if i said to you right now don't think about anything what are you thinking about you're thinking about not thinking about anything. <laughs> it's, 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 it's like, it's like a, 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 a dog chasing his tail. You might catch it, but if you do, it's not going to do you any good. <clears throat> so the idea is that how is biblical meditation distinguished from these new age empty the mind meditations? The biblical goal of meditation is to do exactly the opposite. The Lord doesn't want you to empty your mind. (laughs) See, that's the last thing He wants you to do. Now, can we say it this way? There are certain things He does want your mind emptied of. Certain things you shouldn't be thinking about the things in verse 1. The advice and the counsel of the ungodly people around you, the perspectives of a world that disregards the Lord, His word, and His ways empty your mind of those things but instead of emptying of those things and just trying to leave it empty Jesus even warned us about a man who had demonic influences cast out of him but then his life was like an empty house and then what happened to that empty house it was filled with even greater wickedness the idea is if you empty your mind of the things that don't belong in your mind, the Lord wants them replaced by what? by the things that you should be thinking about, the, the teachings of the Lord. So the idea of biblical meditation is to fill the mind, not empty the mind, to emptying it of, of the ungodly counsel that we've all received living in this fallen world but then to fill the mind with godly counsel, godly advice, godly principles, godly instruction and teachings from the revealed words of God in Scripture. And in the filling of your mind with those things you experience what Paul later describes in Romans as a renewing of your mind that begins to take place. You learn to think differently. You, you adopt new perspectives. And those new perspectives create new attitudes. And those new attitudes and perspectives produce new behaviors. And that person is blessed. Now, how blessed is he? The Lord, in verse 3, gives us a brief word picture to just describe your life as a person that's That's discerning and disregarding those that disregard the Lord and instead focusing your heart's attention, slowing down and meditating on the teachings of God in the way that you should. And in verse three, he says, this is what that will look like. This is the kind of life that will produce for you. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. In that image, you're the tree, and the streams of water are the teachings of God that are feeding that tree, nourishing that tree, causing that tree to grow, causing that tree to be strengthened. And as a result of that healthy relationship between tree and the river, yields its fruit in its season there's things that the Lord wants to produce through you in this world that will then have an influencing impact on the world around you but it's only after you've drawn through your roots the streams of living water into your life into your heart into your mind that you're able to produce the kind of fruit that will impact the world the way the Lord wants you to impact it Misleaf does not wither, meaning even under all of the, the environmental challenges of the world around you, you're going to remain strong and healthy, and in all that you do, and what we do is, of course, and we've talked about this many times, it's going to be a little bit different for all of us, it's all going to be according to righteous ways, but we all have different assignments, and we all have different purposes in this world but in all that we do as we're drawing from those living waters in this righteous relationship of biblical meditation in all that we do we prosper and the prosperity here isn't just you'll have more money in the bank the prosperity here is your life will be filled with the blessing of the lord in the way that the lord intends you to experience life in this world now, let me just talk for a moment about the practicality of meditation. What is different about biblical meditation than just reading the Word or studying the Word? What I'm going to be doing in this year ahead is I'm going to, I'm, for myself, I'm committing to a specific focus in my own meditation. I'm going to be meditating through the book of Psalms in the year to come. And that's why uh, one of the reasons I chose Psalm 1 to be the focal point of the study today. And I would encourage you to join me. Not that you have to meditate through the book of Psalms. You're welcome to do that if you'd like. I'm going to actually um, type up a schedule. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, meditate specifically six days out of seven, which is Monday through Saturday. I'm going to save Sunday for the... where my meditation is going to be focused more on what I'm going to be teaching on each Sunday morning. But on those other six days, I'm going to be meditating through the book of Psalms. And there's 150 Psalms, and they're different lengths. So what I'm, I'm going to do is for a short Psalm like Psalm 1, I'm going to just take one day to meditate on that Psalm. And for the longer Psalms, like for instance Psalm 119, there's 22 sections. I'll take 22 days to meditate on that. And for other longer Psalms, I'm going to break it down to approximately 10 or so verses a day. I don't want to try to cover more than that amount on any one day. So the way I'm going to do it is this, is I'm going to read, for instance, Psalm 1. It only has six verses. I'm going to read that probably two or three times, just reading. And then out of my reading, I'm going to choose a portion of the text to meditate on. I'm not going to try to meditate on all six verses. I'm just going to meditate on one or two of the verses. And then picking that one or two of the verses, like for me, I'll probably pick verse 2 out of Psalm 1 to meditate on. I'm going to read that verse several times. So much so that I can carry that verse throughout the day with me without having to stop and open the scripture to remind myself, what exactly did that say? But of course, I'll always have my phone with me and I can easily look it up if I need to just refresh my perspective about the verse that I'm going to be meditating on. As I meditate, I'm just going to be muttering that verse to myself I'm going to be thinking about what it says I'm going to be asking questions about the verse I'm going to be asking the big question of if I take to heart what this verse is focused on how will it change what I'm doing in the way that I live my life And I'm going to be doing that not just for verse 2, but for each verse that I choose from each portion of each psalm that I'm going to be reading and then meditating on throughout the year. If you do choose to want to join me in the... um in the particular focus that I'm going to be taking on the book of Psalms, and you want to follow the same schedule that I'm going to be following, uh, feel free to send me an email, and I will forward to you the schedule that I'm going to be using. And uh, it would be great to have others that I can discuss the fruit of my meditation with. There's a special blessing in those those aftermath discussions uh, following a good day of biblical meditation so uh, i'd be glad to have you join me for that as well but you can pick any book of the bible and do this with what i would recommend and encourage and exhort each one of you to do is make this year a year that you do something practical in relationship to the meditation in god's word that you didn't necessarily do in the same way this last year now I've always, through all my years of walking with the Lord, been a meditator in God's Word. But I've done it different ways. I've done it in a planned and scheduled way, and I've done it in an unplanned, unscheduled way. What I've discovered, and this is about myself, this may not be true of you, is I just find much greater fruitfulness when I plan and schedule what I'm going to be doing each day as opposed to just like... i'll open the bible and i'll just choose some book of the bible to read a portion of and then choose some verse to meditate on that day there's just something for me about having it laid out in a very specific way that kind of holds me accountable holds me on target and encourages me to stay on target with the plan of meditating through in this case like the entire book of psalms All right, so let's pray. And uh, like I said, if you'd like to join me in that, uh, send me an email and I am glad to share my schedule with you. But let me pray for all of our hearts in this coming year. Father, I want to thank you for the special blessing that's found in Psalm 1. This is the teaching of the Lord. And Father, my prayer is that each one of our hearts would delight in it today and that we would take to heart the words of encouragement and exhortation we find in these verses. And I pray that we would be, in 2024, a people who are characterized by the meditation practice in your word, filling our minds and hearts with mind-renewing principles that are revealed by your spirit and preserved for us for that specific purpose. And may we walk in the year to come in an even greater blessing because we focused our heart's attention and our mind's attention on meditating on your teachings in the way that I hope each one of us will do in the year to come. Thank you so much for pouring out that blessing upon us in the name of your son. Amen.